So let's open our Bibles then to Psalm 70, if you will, please. Notice verse 1. It says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Now then, here is a poor man's prayer. And he's praying very urgently. It's an urgent prayer. Sometimes do we feel like that we just want God to just give us some attention and listen right now. Make haste. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. And make haste to help me. We need both of these, deliverance and help. And in verses 2 and 3, let's read them together. It says, Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, Aha, aha. Now then, let's look at those two verses. Here's a prayer for the defeat of his enemies. And he is saying, let them be ashamed and confounded or confused. You know, when men become confused and confounded, uh, then their strength is really gone. In order to have strength, you have to be not confused. You have to have your mind and uh, thoughts uh, about you with God's help and power and strength. And he says that, seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion. That desire my hurt. So it was a prayer for the defeat of his enemies in Philippians chapter 1. Let me see what Philippians 1 verse 28 says. This, listen, for children of God. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't ever be terrified by your adversaries. Paul says, and in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So you seek your refuge and your strength in the Lord and don't worry about the enemies. God will take care of them in due time and in his own way. In verse 3, back in our psalm, always hold your place where we're studying. We're in Psalm 70. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, Aha, aha. How many people say, Aha, or aha, I told you so. There's always those that like to... uh, put Christians down and say, well now, if you're a Christian, why did this happen to you? Uh Uh-huh. You're just like anyone else. God's not taking care of you. But you see those ah ahas are unfounded because regardless of how many slurs and and, uh, how much scorn is put against you, nevertheless, God is going to take care of you and He will take care of you. And then in verse uh, 4 it says, let all those that seek thee Rejoice and be glad in thee. Let God's people rejoice and be glad. A prayer of thanks and gratitude to the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 4, giving thanks and prayer and supplication. Let me see if we can get Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So don't be over-anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Notice, prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And then it says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when God's peace rules and takes control, then you're in good shape. In verse uh, 4, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad. Uh, we have a nursery, but oh, that's Troy. He's got it. Okay. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. 
In other words, God is to be magnified in all things. Let them say what? Continually let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer, O God, O Lord. Make no tarrying. So he asked again for God to make haste. You know, God is ready to help the poor and the needy. Who are the poor and the needy? All of us, really. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And it doesn't mean rich in money. It means rich in spiritual blessings. That may include some extra finances. It may include some blessings in that direction. But the riches are all of God's blessings. It doesn't make any difference whether it's physical, material, uh, financial, spiritual, whatever. It all comes under the category of being made rich in the things of God. The Bible says the blessings of the Lord maketh rich. So we've uh, looked at this poor man's prayer in Psalm 70. Now let's look at 71. And this is a prayer of a senior saint. And here's a prayer for clear understanding. It says in verse 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. First of all, there has to be faith. Faith in God. Let me never be put to confusion. Remember in the last Psalm, he said, Let the other, let his enemies, in verse 2, be put to confusion. In Psalm 70. But now, he says, Let me never be put to confusion. We don't want to be confounded. The Bible says, He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed, or he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or confused. The, the true believer, the one that has faith, look at this. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. There's the faith. Let me never be confounded or confused or put to shame. The same word is used in Isaiah and in Romans and also, I believe it's in First uh, uh, Peter. And so we find that we'll not be confounded, we'll not be put to shame, we'll not be confused. And here it says, let me never be put to confusion. So he's praying for a clear understanding of things. You and I need a clear understanding of things of God. In verse 2, the, now this is the prayer of the senior saint, and he's praying here for liberty. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. The, the person that escapes and gets free of bonds is, is set free, and he's set at liberty. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. You and I need to pray for God's help and deliverance and salvation. Save me. In verse 3, he says, Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Just the first part of it. Be thou my strong habitation. Now, he doesn't say provide. Listen, this is very important. He doesn't say provide for me a, a strong habitation. But he says, Be thou my strong. You be my strong habitation. The implication is that God is the one we abide in. He doesn't say, provide me a house to dwell in. Provide for me a habitation out here, a sanctuary. But he says, you be that. I want to be... Uh, remember, Jesus says that we will abide in Him and, and in the Father. And so, and we will all come in. We will take our abode. That means that we dwell in God. In God's presence, in God's blessings, in God's uh, spiritual atmosphere. And so, 
we need to realize that our habitation is God himself, whereunto I may continually resort, and that is a place of refuge, refuge as well. And God is a continual rest, refuge. Notice it says, whereunto I may continually resort. Do we just go to God once in a while? No, he says, continually resort. We find a constant and continual refuge in God. Thou hast given commandment to save me. He, as a king, could command and it would be done. God can co command our salvation. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Look at this. Thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. So he's praying again for deliverance. Notice, in verse 2 he says, Deliver me. In verse 4 he says, Deliver me. And in verse 4 he says, Deliver me, O my God, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked. Remember, Paul said that he might be saved from unreasonable and wicked men, evil men. And you and I need to realize, let us not be so naive as to think that there are not evil and wicked men. Because there are. There's a lot of people that are evil and wicked. And you need to pray that God will deliver you out of the hands of those that are wicked, that would harm you. And not only that, there are some that would do you harm spiritually as well as physically or in other ways. Take advantage. And there are wicked and unrighteous, and there are cruel men, men that are cruel. That's why Jesus said for us to be uh, merciful. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. And so in verse 5 it says, For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. Thou art my hope and trust from my youth. His hope and trust from youth was God. You know, a lot of times we do not realize that youth is in the hands of God. Little children are in the hands of God. And in God's providence, before we were born, look at the next verse. It says, By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Uh, honey, there's a nursery there she wants to take. There's a nursery right there and you can hear. Uh, there's a speaker in there. Go right in. Okay. Uh, for the, uh, Verse uh, 6 says, By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art uh, he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Boy, this does something for those people that want their rights for abortion, doesn't it? From the womb. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually in thee, of thee. You see, uh, God's people, little children, little boys and girls, you and I, God looked upon us before we ever were born. And he could see that soul, that life that was coming forth, was going to be. And in his providence, he had a concern for us before we were ever born. It's hard to realize that God looked upon us personally and individually before we were born. Look in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 5. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, speaking to Jeremiah, it says, Before I... God says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Who's the author of life? God is. says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before, it's not after or in the middle of the situation, 
And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Sanctified means to be set apart for God's purpose. I sanctified thee, and it says, and I ordained thee. You know, preachers, surrendered priests, they start in, and finally they're ordained, and the ministers gather around, and church ordains them, and ministers uh, put their blessings upon them in the Baptist churches. At least that's the way we do it. But God says to Jeremiah, Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah was chosen and called before his birth. You know, we, we always talk about a time and a place of salvation. There is a time and a place in our lives when we come to trust and believe on the Lord. That's our part. But God's part... Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. There is a preordained choice of God as well. And someone said, well, how do you harmonize those two things? I don't try to. I just preach them because God says one thing. He says, I'm to believe, and He says, I'm chosen also. And He says, I'm sanctified. He says, I'm set apart. He says all those things. Well, if it's true, if that's what He says, I believe it. And if He says, I have to believe on Him, I believe that too. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then you worry about whether, how you're going to reconcile man's choice and God's choice. I'm not going to worry about it. He told me to believe and He told me that I was His. So what's the, what's the big deal? You know, these two doctrines people have fought over through the ages, through the years. But, you know, if you ever stood in the middle of a railroad track and looked down the tracks, if you haven't, we'll do that sometimes. Stand right down there and look down those two rails. And you know, you look down there, oh, as far as I can see, and it looks like they're just like that, that they cross each other. But the further you walk down, you find they just run parallel. These two doctrines look like they cross each other, but they don't. They run right side by side. There's no contradiction. Preach one with all its authority that the Scripture gives it. Preach the other with all the authority Scripture gives it. And don't worry about the consequences and whether people try to reconcile it or not. It's not ours to reconcile. It's for us to preach it, and God will do the reconciling. As you go down the road, you'll see they go parallel. It's like we illustrated Sunday. Old Dr. Kemp used to say, down the seminary, he'd say, when I uh, was invited to trust Christ, he says, uh, it was like a door. You know, Jesus said, I'm the door. And he says, on the outside of that door, like just picture the front of the church says, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Both those are scriptures. So you open the door and you enter in. You look back up over the head of it and it says, Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Well, there was no contradiction. But you entered in the door by faith. And when you got in there, you found out that God had chosen you anyway. So you did, God had chosen you. And you did your part in accepting the choice, didn't you? And there was no contradiction. And so preach the word as it is, and then, then if people uh, argue about the the contradiction in the in the doctrines, we'll let them worry about it because God doesn't contradict. He says this is true, and He says that's true. They're both true. So back under Psalm seventy-one and verse six, it says this: It says, "By thee have I been holden up from the womb." The psalmist recognizes it's by God's power and strength. Have I been holding up from the womb? Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. Life is all a gift of God. My praise shall be continually of thee. Therefore, he praised God for life itself, didn't he? And then verse 7. Verse 7. 
It says, I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. God's people sometimes are a wonder to the world. Isn't it? Have, have you ever seen people look at your life and say, it's just a wonder? I, I'm amazed myself at what God does. I'm really amazed many times at the blessings that God bestows upon me that I didn't even know He, he had in store. I just go down the road, try to be honest, try to do right, try to try to do His will and preach His Word and everything. And all of a sudden, here comes a blessing from one direction, here comes another one from the other direction. And I just say, I just th- say, thank you, Lord, and then I try to spread it out and help others. God has a way of doing that. But you know, if you go along and you're just an old tight wad and a, a skin flint, nickel nibber, and a penny pincher, and all those things, the first thing you know, you'll end up and you'll just have to struggle for every little bit you get, and you'll say, why doesn't God bless me? Well, it says, give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? You try it sometime. See if it doesn't work. See, God's Word is true, isn't it? And it'll work. So you just put it to the test and find out if it won't work. And then it says in verse uh, uh, 7, I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. He's not only a refuge. God is not only a refuge, but He's a strong refuge. And His strong refuge has amazed many people. The fact that we have such a refuge in God. God is our refuge and strength. The very present help in trouble, the Bible tells us. Look at verse 8. It says, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day, continually. See, there's not a time, day or night, that we should not praise God and thank God. We've seen a prayer for the senior saint in verses 1 through 4. And he praises for past blessings in verses 5 through 8. And now a plea for security. He wants security. How many of us want security? All of us want security. We want security in this life in some ways. We don't want to be out on the streets and homeless or helpless and friendless and loveless. We don't want to be out with anything. And I feel sorry for people that end up in those situations because that's, that's a terrible I can think of no, as far as this life is concerned, not m- much of a worse situation than to be, to be out on the street and have no home and have no place to live and have no one to care and to be, uh, have no help from anyone. That sounds sad to me. That sounds sad. And so we want security, but we want spiritual security too, don't we? Look, he says in verse 9, Look at verse 9. He says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. We all fear getting old. We all fear old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. We find as we get older, we do get weaker. And he says, Forsake me not when my strength faileth. And he's praying for security in his old age. If you look it down in verse uh, 18, much the same thing. Verse 18, and we'll come back and pick it up. But look, he says, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that has come. We'll deal with that verse in a minute as to what he wants to do before his old age takes its full toll. But verse 9 is what we're dealing with. So he's praying for security in old age, isn't he? In Psalm 37, verse 25, David said, I have been young and now I'm... Listen, 
I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, or that means stumble so as to fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. He's not going to hit the ground. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Talk about security and help. God is the one that is our security and our help. If you and I were depending upon our own strength in anything, we would fail. Physically, mentally, uh, financially, economically, domestically, and especially in the spiritual realm. And by the way, I really believe that all things are under the spiritual heading. You get what I mean? All things are under the spiritual heading that God blesses us with. Because you say, well, He blessed me financially. It was because of spiritual relationships that these these financial blessings or material blessings or other blessings and luxuries came to you. So it really all, there's one major heading, and these, you might say, these are subheadings. You put blessings, spiritual blessings. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He hath blessed us, Ephesians chapter 2. According as He hath blessed us, that means He's already done it. With all spiritual, they're already ours, all spiritual blessings, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So they all belong to us. And then they're categorized as as physical, material, financial, mental, all these other things, they're blessings. And sometimes we have problems in those areas, but we still have blessings in those same areas, wherein we need deliverance from physical stress, financial stress, uh, economical situations, or whatever the problem may be. We still have it in connection with spirituality, and they can hardly be separated. All right, let's get back to this in verse 9. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. He knew that the time was coming he wouldn't be as strong. So he had a need for security uh, because of his age. Let's uh, begin reading verse 10 and 11 now. He says, For mine enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul uh, take counsel together, saying, now look, saying, this is what the enemies say. God hath forsaken him. God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Isn't this what Jesus suffered on the cross? Didn't they say God has forsaken him? They said, let God deliver him if he will have him. God has forsaken him. You know, there's, there's hardly a more cruel statement to a Christian than for someone worldling or evil or a scorner to say to you that God has forsaken you. I just about assume they'd call me anything is to say God has forsaken me. Because I know God hasn't forsaken me. And it comes from the father of lies. Because God has not forsaken his own. He never will. He says, I will never, what? Leave thee nor forsake thee. And if God will not do that, then all their scorn and all their... uh, Words are lies from Satan. And he says, My enemies are going to be saying, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Can we think that if Jesus underwent these kind of words and this kind of scorn, that you and I, who are his children, should be exempt? There are some times that people are going to say those things about us. I've had people that, I have a lot of people that love me, and I'm thankful. 
But I've had some that ridicule too. And they scorn and make fun. Just learn to accept it as a matter of fact because there are, just like we said earlier, there are wicked and cruel and uh, unrighteous men back in verse 4. Deliver me, O oh my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. And there are people like that. And don't be so, as we said earlier, so naive as to think they're not. Because some people are just going to not like you regardless. And most of the time, they will not like you because of your stand and because of what you believe and because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and because of your stand for the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, you you know, you people just always say the Bible says. Well, what else is there to say? Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and is... Uh, Piercing even to dividing the sunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Bible says, preach the word. And so that's all we have. And every Christian should make this his final rule of faith and practice. And if it teaches one thing in this, this is what we're to believe, and this is what we're to, to do. And there will be a lot of people who won't like it. Well, that's their problem, not yours. Uh, you know, sometimes we make the other fellow's problem ours. We say, oh, well, that person didn't like that. Well, you know, they can get glad the same way they got mad, can't they? They really can if they just change their attitude. Repent and turn to God. The Bible says repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ changes things, doesn't it? That changes the whole situation. And that's what's wrong with a lot of people. They don't want to repent and turn to God. They'd rather rebel against God's Word and criticize you for what you do. And I'm sorry to say, but that's just a matter of fact. And verse 12 says, O God, be not far from me. We want God to be near. The psalmist wants to be near. He says, O my God, make haste for my help. Be not far. Be not far. That's what we need. And it's a plea for help. And then verse 13. Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. They're adversaries to our very soul. And let them be what? Confounded and consumed. And he says, let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. And this is a plea for the defeat of his enemies. In verse 14, he says, but I, let, never mind what they'll do, he says, but I will hope continually. I will hope and will yet praise thee more and more. Sometimes we need to praise God more than we do. So in this verse, he says, but I will hope continually. Do we have a continual hope? Day and night, every day of the week, every week of the month, and every month of the year, around year in and year out. I will what? Hope continually. You know, almost, we can endure almost any suffering or pain or trial that comes our way if there's hope. But it, when people get to the place that there's no hope, that's when things go downhill. That's when depression and, 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 uh, uh, Something sets in that, that just says, I'm ready to give up. But there's always hope in God. It doesn't make any difference how far down you've gone, how bad you, uh, a shape you are physically, materially, uh, spiritually, or whatever. You may be to the end of, end of the road, but God is able to give you that hope. It says that uh, we sorrow not as others that have no hope. Paul tells us as Christians. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
I could quote it to you, but I think it would be good if you get every verse. It says <clears throat> in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that's the dead in Christ, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. See, the Christian has hope. And it's concerning them which are asleep, or the dead in Christ. You know why people sorrow so? And sometimes it gets the best of us as Christians is because we feel that when we lose a loved one that we'll never see them again. And then at that point in time we have no hope. But Paul says, I want to admonish you one thing, that you saw not as others that have no hope. You do have a hope because there's a hope of the resurrection. There's a hope of reunion. There's a hope of the coming of Christ. There's a hope that one day we shall see all our loved ones. And that's a hope beyond man's reasoning and imagination almost. But God says it's going to happen. And we take His word that there will be an actual reunion that the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Someone says, well, will we know each other in heaven? Well, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, which was a preview of the coming of the Lord in power and glory. And by the way, Peter, James, and John knew them, and they had never seen them before. And they said, that's Moses. That's Elijah. And they, they heard them talking about a Christ's death that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And that was the sole topic of conversation on the Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't talk about anything else. They talked about when Jesus dies... When Jesus is crucified and He dies, after His decease, He's going to go back to heaven and Moses and Elijah will be there with Him waiting for all the other saints to come up. And when He comes back in power and great glory, He's going to resurrect them all. And we have typical there of those that uh, were taken to heaven without dying and those that were taken to heaven by death. Moses and Elijah. Moses died and He was there. Right? And the Lord buried Him. And Elijah was taken up without that death. And so both classes of people, the dead in Christ and the living believers that Christ's coming are represented there with Jesus in glory. That's how we're all going to get there. We're either going by the clod or the cloud, one way or the other. And it doesn't matter to me which. It doesn't matter to me. Because God says, you know, I have a grave lots out here, it's a cemetery. I have a headstone out there. My daughter's buried out there, and uh, headstones there for my wife and I both, because I didn't want her to feel too lonely. <laughs> so I uh, went ahead and put it, when we bought her headstone, we just bought ours. And so we have that already, and if I never use it, it won't be any loss. I'll go up and sit it down into the dirt. So it doesn't make any difference to me, but I'm prepared for either one, by God's grace and by Christ's provision. And only that way. And that's the only way any man can be prepared for eternity, is to prepare it in the way that, you're, that you know that if you die, you'll depart to be with Christ. We, we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. It says, For in this we groan, being burdened, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Desiring to be clothed upon. And so... The Bible tells us that we have a, a house that's not made with hands, and it's eternal. And, we'll, and then it says further on that 
to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when, when I die, when they have my funeral, well, just remember this, that I'm not here, I'm gone up to be with the Lord. Now the old body will be here, and it will go back to the dust from whence it came. But we'll depart to be with Christ, and Paul says, which is far better. Now if you had to sleep in the grave for a millennium, and there was no resurrection, if, if, there, was, if there was only the resurrection of your soul and spirit at a future time instead of just your body it wouldn't be far better but it's far better because you're going to be delivered from this body of corruption be taken in the presence of the Lord and there will be a resurrection of the body but you know you're just going to wait for that time you're already going to be with him. and he's going to come back and, and reunite uh, soul and spirit with body and you'll be taken up and this corruptible will put on incorruption this mortal shall put on immortality and then we'll be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. So we're looking forward to a future time. Where were we? What verse? We got down there somewhere. 15. Okay, let's pick up verse 15. Praise Him for His righteousness, not ours. My mouth shall show forth Thy righteousness. Look at this. What righteousness and Thy salvation all the day? For I know not the numbers thereof. What do we show forth? You know, we don't have any righteousness to show for. Look at that verse very carefully. You know God's Word is so true and so so uh, direct. It says, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness. Do we go around talking about our righteousness or do we talk about the righteousness that God has given us through Jesus Christ? That's what we talk about, isn't it? Well, the Bible says that He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And then notice, it says, And thy salvation. We didn't save ourselves. He saved us. It was His salvation. And He says all the day, a continual praise of His righteousness and salvation. For I know not the numbers there. Look at verse 16, if you will, quickly. Verse 16. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. Do we try to go in our own strength? No. We shouldn't at least. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he says, I will make mention of thy righteousness. Here you have it again. You had it in verse 15. You have it in verse 16. And look, in verse 16 he adds something. Even of thine only. Even of thine only. See, verse 15, he says, I will, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness. Verse 16, he says, I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. I'm not going to mention mine, because I don't have any. Because the Bible says, All of our righteousnesses, plural, all of them put together, are as filthy rags. We do all fade as leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, right? So we don't have any of our own. The Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know why? There were none righteous. All were sinners. He, he came to call all to repentance. But see, there were some Pharisees that claimed they were righteous, and he was just letting them know that if they thought they were, they were righteous, they, didn't, they were not listening to his salvation. And they should have classified themselves as sinners, and he would be calling them to salvation and repentance. All right, let's look at the next verse. It says in verse uh, 17, Oh, I want you to get this. This verse 17 is good. It says, O God, Thou hast taught me from my youth. 
And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works, being taught from youth. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. Remember Paul told Timothy, what did Paul say to Timothy? And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. The word child means infancy. That from an infant thou hast known the holy scriptures. Children are able to learn the Bible when they're able to learn anything. They can learn it as quickly as they can learn to say mama and daddy. They can learn it as quick as they can learn to say, uh, read and write. They can learn the Bible. And they can learn what it means if they're taught by their parents. I remember Daryl when he was a little, little boy. He took a pair of socks off. And on the bottom it had a bunch of stuff written, you know, kind of socks or what brand or whatever. Maybe size or... And he said, Mama, read that scripture to me. It was everything that was written to him was scripture. He, this little guy, he didn't know, you know, if, if it was written, it had to be Bible because he'd been taught the Bible. And you know, children are able to learn. This old business, well, don't they don't understand. That comes out of the devil's lies because they do understand and they can understand and they will understand if you will teach them what it says. And I'm afraid many times we get steered off from teaching the Bible because we feel, well, the kids, they just can't understand it. You try it a while and see if they don't. In fact, some of them will get more out of it than a lot of grown-ups. They really will. You put that to the test and see if it doesn't work. And he says, uh, look at this again. He says, uh, O God, Thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto, and as a result, look, hitherto have I declared Thy wondrous works, when children are brought up in the Bible and they become young people, teenagers or whatever, and, and then grow up, because of what they've heard and learned and been taught, they can declare God's wondrous works. What are some of God's wondrous works? His wonderful works of creation. That's a wonderful work. His wonderful work of creating us. His wonderful work of redemption. His wonderful work of salvation. Uh, there are so many his wonderful works, all of these. He made the worlds. He made the whole universe. And that's all recorded in God's Word. We have a lot of atheists now that don't believe it. We have a lot of professors that don't believe it. We have a lot of scientists that don't believe it. But that's their problem, isn't it? The Bible says, listen, it says, by faith we understand. What do we understand? That the worlds were framed by the Word of God. They don't understand it. But the Bible says you understand it by faith. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They were made out of nothing. Things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God tells us that He created the world. He, the Bible says that uh, in the beginning was uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth became or was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But it says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said. Let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it was so. Whatever He said, it was so. You have God, the voice of God, and the Spirit of God. And then later on it says, Let us, so we know the plurality of the Godhead, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and so on. Give Him dominion over the earth. The Bible says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under His feet. Thou hast made Him to uh, have dominion over all things that He created. Hebrews chapter 2. It says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under His feet, and yet we see not all things put under Him, but we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory, listen, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And for, well, go on, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I'll tell you, the word of God is just wonderful telling of God's works and creation. Let's go on down, and we have just enough time to finish this one, I believe. It says in verse 18, which we dealt with a little bit ago, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation. He says, I want to be helpful to this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. He says, I not only want to be a testimony to the generation here, the people that I'm teaching now and this people, but I want to be a testimony to, I want to leave something behind to everyone that is to come. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have men that will serve their own generation and then leave something behind for the next one that is to come? I think very uh, often of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Did you know he had enough sermons written and outlined and written out word by word to be read and to be in in the services for about, I think it was around 10 years after his death. Can you imagine that? I don't know the exact, I may be wrong on the number of years, but it was a great number of years after he died. And I have a set of volumes of Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit that probably... I, only, I don't have all of them. I want to get the rest of them. There are, I think, 54, but there's about 60. I have about six more to go. But what I'm saying is, every one of those volumes is a whole year of sermons in one volume. 365 days, but of course the Sunday 